Brad Keithley, Managing Director of Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Welcome to the weekly top three, the top three things on our mind here at Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets for the week of October 26th, 2020. The weekly top three is a regular segment on The Michael Duke Show. The show broadcasts on Facebook Live and via streaming audio from the show's website weekdays from 6 to 8 a.m. I join Michael weekly in the first hour of Tuesday's show from 6.25 to 7 a.m. for a discussion between the two of us about our three issues. We post the podcast of our discussion following the show on the Alaska for Sustainable Budgets Facebook, YouTube, SoundCloud, and Spotify pages, also on the new Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets website, as well as the projects page on national blog site, medium.com. You can find past episodes of the weekly top three also at the same locations. Keep in mind that in addition to these podcasts, during the week, you also can follow and participate in the discussion with us of these and other issues affecting Alaska's fiscal and economic condition by following us on the Alaska for Sustainable Budgets Facebook page and through our posts on Twitter. This week, our top three issues are these. First, a final pre-election discussion between Michael, who leans no, and me, a yes, on Proposition 1, the oil tax initiative. Second, our thoughts on the proposal by some to use the PCE, Power Cost Equalization Fund, to plug a portion of next year's deficit. And third, there's a lot going on in other states with university funding that is relevant as well to Alaska. And now, let's join Michael. All right, well, let's talk about the weekly top three. We're going to start off today with one last recap of uh, Proposition 1, the he said, she said. You and I have been talking about this back and forth. I have still said that I was kind of undecided. You, surprisingly enough, an oil and gas guy with an oil and gas background, have come out in favor of it. I still have some serious challenges and issues regarding it. Uh, but let's get the let's get your rundown on this one more time. Well, here's here's the the, the ultimate crux of it, Michael. There isn't a no tax option. We're, we we have we have put ourselves in a hole where we don't really have a way out of it without taxing somebody. And the question is, what's the worst? What what what's the least worst of of the options? Taxing uh, Alaska families through, uh, through additional PFD cuts has the largest adverse impact on the overall Alaska economy and Alaska families of any of the options that ICER studied in 2016. And you can layer oil taxes on top of that, and PFD cuts are still the worst option of, of, any, of, of any of the alternatives. So there's no tax option. PFD cuts are the worst, but PFD cuts are the fallback. That's what will happen if we don't if we don't come up with with other options. As a as an oil guy from you know 35 years, I wish that we had other other solutions uh, than than oil taxes, but we don't. And so you have to I have to weigh I have to look at the average impact of an oil tax increase uh, under Prop One. Uh, versus uh, additional PFD cuts. That's what that's what we that's what we've come down to. And as bad as they are, um, oil tax increases aren't as bad as uh, as the as the equivalent in uh, in PFD cuts. The oil taxes will increase. Uh, uh, Prop one will increase uh, overall oil costs about five percent. 
the increase in oil, uh, overall oil costs uh, as, as the companies themselves project in increased transportation costs between 2019 and 2022. Uh, they're not screaming about that. And the reason they're not screaming about that is they can accommodate a 5% increase. It's not the thing they would like most, certainly, but they can accommodate a 5% increase. On top of that, under uh, under the Constitution, the Alaska if 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 Prop One turns in to be an overreach, Prop One turns in uh, turns in as as having problems. Uh, the uh, the Alaska Legislature under the Constitution can amend Prop One at any time. It doesn't have to wait for any period of time uh, to smooth out to smooth out the rough edges. So I think it's a it's not it's not oh my God taxes all companies they're bad. I, this is not a Robin Brenna. My, my position is not a Robin Brennan position. My position is there isn't a no-tax choice. And so the question is, what's the least worst alternative uh, in this situation? And I think Prop 1 uh, produces part uh, of, the, of the least worst uh, alternative. And of course, my main concern with uh, with uh, with Prop One again. I, I mean, I'm in agreement with Brad. I think there is some money to be le- that is still left on the table with oil companies. That we have a responsibility as Alaskans and legislators have a responsibility from the Constitution, Article One, Section Eight of the Constitution, to develop the resources uh, to the maximum benefit of the people of the state of Alaska. Uh, and uh, and I believe that there is money left there. But my main concern is. Do we reward bad behavior? We've already seen what they've done with the $20 billion that Brad was just talking about. Uh, do we allow that? To, do we give them more? Do we reward that bad behavior by giving them more? Do we take a kid who obviously can't control his money, uh, who spends mom and dad's money, who does whatever he does, and then do we offer them another uh, another $100 bill? Do we give him a credit card, a blank credit card, and say, be good with this one. You've done well, but you know, you, you've done badly before, but we know this time you'll be good with it. That's my main concern because giving them more money does not guarantee that they won't cut the PFD, does not guarantee that they won't use it as more road to kick the can down, um, and that's my main concern. Yeah, and my response to that is is it isn't more. It's a substitute. Let's look at it this way. Governor Dunleavy and 16 at some point will set, will set the spending limit uh, on, uh, on, on whatever we're going to spend in FY22. Let's say that's $4 billion. Let's say they cut 15% out of the projected current law budget, and that's, and that's $4, $4 billion. We have $2.3 billion in traditional revenues plus the leftover amount uh, from the, the POMV draw. So that's a deficit of $1.7 billion. Where's that $1.7 billion going to come from? It's mostly going to come from PFD cuts. And, and my point is this. We can substitute... About three hundred and seventy million dollars. That's the DOR projection of what of the incremental amount the Prop One will raise. We can substitute three hundred and seventy million dollars of that of that one point seven billion dollars that's otherwise likely going to come from PFD cuts. We can substitute three hundred seventy million dollars of that by passing Prop One. That's about sixteen hundred dollars per average size. Uh, Alaska family in terms of PFDs that 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 won't be that we won't need to cut because we have a substitute from 
from oil revenues. It's not more. We're not piling on more. Governor Dunleavy and 16 are going to set the spending limit. It's a question of how we finance within that spending limit. And it's either going to be PFD cuts or it's going to be, or, or a portion of it's going to be offset with Prop 1. So I, I, don't, I don't think it's fair to view this as more revenue for the legislature to play with. I think, I think given the confines of the spending cap that the governor plus 16 will set, I think it's much more, much better looked at as a substitute revenue source uh, for uh, for what otherwise will be PFD cuts. I guess I come back to the naivete, Brad, of saying, do you really think, in the fact that they've gone back to the PFD well again and again and again, that by giving them more revenue, two or three hundred million dollars, <laughs> that they will once more go, oh, look, two hundred three, we could put that back into the PFD? Or do you think that instead they will try to save some other program that they otherwise would have cut uh, because the revenue is just not there? Well, the, the the program they're otherwise going to cut is the PFD. I mean, it's it's it, 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 it's it, you can't really argue with the arithmetic that the governor is going to set the governor plus sixteen are going to set the spending cap. You can't really argue with that. I mean, he's going to do it. And and once you say that, it's a question of how you finance it. Two point three billion dollars from traditional revenue sources plus leftover POMB leaves a deficit of. Let's say they cut 15%. Let's say they cut $700 million from the current law budget uh, and, and, and get it down to get spending down to $4 billion. Dude, how are you going to finance that difference between $2.3 billion and, 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 and $4 billion, the, the, the $1.7 billion deficit? It's not, they can create a bunch more, they, they, they can create a bunch more programs, but it's going to be within that confine. It's going to be a $4 billion spending cap. How are you going to finance that $1.7 billion deficit? They're, the way they've done it the last several years, and, and, and re- keep in mind, we're out of savings. The way they've done it the last several years is through PFD cuts. The only way to save the PFD, the only way to offset a portion of that is to have alternative revenues, substitute revenues. And that's what, that's what Prop 1 does. I, 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 I just don't see the argument that it adds more because the governor is setting, the governor plus 16 is setting the spending limit. It, it is a question of how you finance within that spending limit. Of course. And, you, and it's either going to come through PFD cuts or it's going to come through substitute revenue. Of course, this assumes that the governor is going to come back with a thin budget, which uh, we don't even know at this point. <clears throat> I mean, he, you know, last year, he, he, he blinked last year, came back with a standard steady budget. Uh, it's going to be a question. Uh, that, is, uh, that is 100% for sure. All right. Well, Brad and I are not necessarily in agreement on this. Again, I have not decided to vote 100% yes or no on uh, Prop 1. I'm leaning more towards the no side right now because of this. But uh, you guys are going to have to make your own decision. Brad and I have made our arguments so far, and we'll we'll see where we go from here. Uh, Stephanie says, I couldn't uh, disagree more. Giving the government more money is just creating a bigger monster. I mean, I, I, I mean, I hate to beat a dead horse, Brad, but I just feel like you know, if they have no money coming in and they have this deficit and the, and the only way to fill it is with the PFD, um, and so they're going to look at filling this $1.7 billion gap uh, that you're hypothesizing with a 15% cut, they're going to fill this $1.7 billion gap. They're going to look at the PFD and they're going to go, okay, well, we're just going to take it. Then you laud them with a windfall of another $300 million dollars. And they're going to say, oh, look, well, we could still take the same amount from the PFD that we were going to take anyway. 
because that's what we've historically taken now for the last five years, and there's a there's habit force built into that, and people are already kind of inured to it and ready for it. And now we've got $300 million that we can spend on more government that we would have cut, and we're still going to take the PFD. I mean, that I, maybe I'm jaded. Maybe I'm just a little cynical. But that's what I feel like is going to happen. We've given them more wiggle room to leave something on the table by giving them this excess money, and they're still going to cut the full PFD in the long run. Well, I, that assumes that spending, that spending is going to be higher than – than it otherwise would be, and I and I just don't agree with that. I mean, the governor, I think, is going to. I'm not sure why we're going through this election cycle of trying to elect conservative representatives. If you if you don't agree with this, the gov the governor is going to, I think, set a spending level, stick by it, get 16 to support it, and that's going to be that's going to be the spending level. What 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 the what the more argument is is the governor is going to is going to set that spending level get 16 to stick by it and then he's going to add another another 370 million dollars on top of that just because we passed uh, prop 1 i don't think the governor is going to do that i don't think the 16 that that we're looking to back up the governor uh, are going to do that if if you if if you assume that's going to happen then then everybody you've just elected is going to fail you're assuming that everybody you've elected is well, going to fail. I, I think, and, and I don't think that's a fair assumption. Well, I mean, here's here's my thing. I mean, I, I'm the hope for the best and plan for the worst kind of guy, right? I hope I hope we're right. I hope that we've elected conservatives who believe in smaller government. I hope that Governor Dunleavy will see the light in this uh, budget cycle and say he can go back to his 2018 numbers of $800 million worth of cuts. I hope that that can happen. But I have been, I mean, how many times have we been burned, Brad? How many times have we sent somebody down to Juno, who said, this is what I believe and this is what I'm going to do. And then they get down there and they get pod peopled down there. And the next thing you know, they're telling us about how we just don't understand how the world really works and that they just can't cut anymore. That's that's my problem. I, I hope I hope that what you're saying is right. I just, uh, you know, the, the, the past past performance is indicative of future results is kind of what I'm saying here. Well, then ultimately the, the entire PFD is gone, and, and I'm not sure what we've been talking about for the past 10 years, why, why we've been talking about it for the past 10 years. I mean, if you, if you assume that people are going to spend up to whatever they have, uh, then, then the PFD is gone uh, because they will, ultimately, they, they will ultimately take the whole thing, and then they'll come for, then, then we'll, we'll come for an income tax. You, I, I, I don't assume that. I assume that we've, that, that we've elected people who are going to more or less do what they say they're going to do. The governor has said, give me a legislature that will back me up, give me 16 that will back up, back me up, and I, and I will cut spending. I assume I, I, I take him at face value and think he's going to do that. Uh, if he's not going to do that, if, they're, if, you, if you assume that they're going to keep on spending until they, until they run out of revenues, then the PFT has gone. And, 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 and we're, we're at the end times, basically. Um, so I just I, I I don't make that assumption. I make the assumption that we're going to have a spending we're going to have a spending limit that there's going to be 16 in the legislature to back him up. And what we're really talking about is where those revenues come from, as opposed to as opposed to some unlimited pot of money. I uh, hope you are 100 percent right. I really do. I hope you're 100 percent right. And if I am right, Michael, if I am right, then then Prop One makes a makes a 370 million dollar difference. Yeah. If if I am right, if there is a spending cap that the, the governor will will pass, sixteen will back him up on, 
then three hundred then 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 raising three hundred seventy million dollars through Prop One backs off three hundred seventy million dollars, sixteen hundred dollars per Alaska family that otherwise that I otherwise would come through through PFD cuts. If 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 I'm wrong, then I you know I just I, the PFD's gone. I'm not sure what we're talking about. Right. Well, if you're wrong, then we've just hastened uh, you know we've just hastened the demise of the permanent fund, which again puts the legislators back up against the wall further because you can't keep tapping that 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 well. Eventually, it will run dry, and then where will we be? And uh, and you know, and I think there would be such a backlash on that. I mean, you think this backlash is bad? Wait till you see what happens if something like that goes on. Uh, I like I said. I hope you're a hundred percent right. I hope that my fears are completely unfounded. But uh, I guess when it's all said and done, we'll see. Uh, we'll see come uh, come next uh, come next May or so. We need to start talking about number two, which is the power cost equalization fund, which finally has become part of the mainstream conversation. It's it's ironic that this has not. Uh, that this has not been part of the mainstream conversation for years. I mean, it's been talked about in political circles by people like Brad and I. But finally, where our back's against the wall, we're starting to look at all these pots of money, and all of a sudden it's hit the mainstream conversation. Brad, you want to give us a tease before we go to break? Yeah, I'm not sure the PCE conversation is going to, is going to lead us anyplace. PCE and, and, and the PFD share a common background. It is... It is an effort to distribute the benefits of Alaska's wealth broadly uh, among all Alaskans, uh, both rural and uh, urban. And and going after PCE, going after the PCE one billion dollars solves one billion dollars of the one point seven billion dollar deficit we were just talking about. But at what cost? I mean, it it it, it has a cost to rural Alaska. And if you say we're going to offset that by just incorporating it now, uh, PCE, into into the regular budget, we've not really gained anything because we've, we've grabbed a billion dollars for, you know, to offset a portion of one year's deficit, um, and we've done it at the expense of now sticking ourselves with a 60 to 70 million, 75 million dollar tab every year uh, going out. If you're going to do that, the better the better course is to is to keep that one billion dollars as a as a fund because it so creates because it creates that seventy billion dollars a year right. in interest and everything else. So it's free exactly. money essentially, just by having it sit there. Hey, welcome back to the program. Continuing now with Brad Keithley, the weekly top three. We're into number two. We've been talking about the power cost equalization fund. Some have seen it as a way out uh, in the short term for a single year. Brad just made the argument, which I think is a valid argument, to say that if we if we if we take the PCE in, in total, we're basically encumbering the state for another $70 million a year moving forward, which is true because the PCE now generates its own revenue. It generates that same $70 billion a year that they're spending. Uh, but I guess the question then becomes, if we don't use PCE or similar funds, higher education endowment funds and some others, somebody said that they, again, they'd run a CAFR type uh, analysis of the different state accounts that said that that was just a couple of the accounts that all told that there was something like $6 billion in various accounts sitting around. So maybe PCE should be low man on the totem pole. But if we don't fill it with PCE, Brad, what is the other option, I guess, for Alaskans? What should we be pushing for if we're not pushing on PCE to fill the gap in the short term? Well, we just we just had that conversation, right? I mean, the the the, the answer is you've got to come up with that one point seven billion dollars 
Uh, and it's not just next year. It's not just whew, if we can just raise $1.7 million, you know, there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel. It's every year for, for, for the remainder of, of the decade. And so, and so the, the question is, how are you going to, how are you going to deal with that uh, every year for the remainder of the decade? And I, and I think it's a combination of spending cuts. We have to make, we have to make major spending cuts. $700 million, which gets it down to $4 billion. That's 15% of spending. That's a huge amount. I mean, Governor Dunleavy, even in 2019, didn't, didn't come anywhere close to that. So it, we have to have some, have to have some major spending cuts. And then we have to have some revenues to, 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 to fill in on a consistent basis. Just going and grabbing pots of money um, uh, for you know, to fill in a hole there, a hole there. We tried that. We did that during the, the 20-teens. We used our savings amounts, savings accounts to do that. We kept telling ourselves, oh, it's just a glide path. It's just a fun to glide path. Well, we never, we never glided. We, we just we kept spending, and we, and we consumed $20 billion. I have no more faith talking about faith i have no more faith that if we that if we plug the gap by taking a billion dollars from pce and another billion dollars from the university which is one of these CAFR accounts and 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 you know and and continuing to to to, to rob these 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 funds these trust funds i have no more faith that we're going to actually have a glide path to, to a solution than 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 we had in the 20 teens so i we've, we've got to face up to it it's got to be a combination of of spending cuts and uh, uh, and some revenues, uh, and hopefully more equitable revenues than uh, uh, than, uh, than than we've come to with PFD cuts. The PCE, for those of you who don't know, again we've talked about it enough on the program, but just so you know, the Power Cost Equalization Fund is used to offset high rural energy costs. It helps pay for different types of energy, uh, fuel oil costs, and other things. It's also used. To, for uh, energy projects in the bush, about about half of it is used to offset, and about half of it is used for infrastructure investment to try and create some of these more low energy cost uh, issues for rural communities. Um, and it generates because it's a billion, it's one point one billion dollars roughly. It generates its own money because it's invested, and so they, it generates about seventy uh, seventy million dollars a year. Uh, on its own. So it essentially pays for itself. The money just sitting there essentially pays for itself. If we take it, then we would be on the hook because, again, it's statutory, although the legislature can decide to just ignore that at their whim. Uh, it is statutory that they pay these things, and uh, otherwise we'd be on the hook every year for 40 to $80 bil- uh, million dollars a year uh, in those costs. Right, Brad? Yeah, exactly. It, it operates the same way as the retirement account does. We put a bunch of money into the retirement account, uh, in, in, to, to fund PERS and TERS. And that, that, that money we have in the retirement account generates uh, income. It's invested, generates income every year that, uh, that, that helps, uh, supplement pay, uh, helps supplement uh, and, and pay for uh, uh, the PERS and TERS retirement obligations. If we didn't have that fund, if we didn't have the PERS and TERS fund, all of that obligation would come back into the general fund. And instead of Roughly three hundred million dollars we would uh, we pay uh, every year in uh, in PERS and tourist contributions out of the general fund. It'd be more than a billion dollars we'd have to pay every year out of out of uh, out of the general fund to fund PERS and tourist. So these funds that are set aside and the ones that people have talked about being in the CAFR, uh, these funds that are set aside uh, are in order to take an obligation off uh, 
of the general fund. And, and frankly, I've got to give Lyman Hoffman, I, I often complain about Lyman, but in this case I will give him, give him credit. Uh, Lyman, at the time that we had, uh, back in the early 20-teens, when we had uh, excess funds, when we had the surplus coming in, rather than spend it uh, on, you know, another, uh, another, you know, artificial turf football field someplace, uh, they started putting money aside into the PCE fund uh, to generate uh, this sort of revenue that would that would uh, uh, generate enough revenue to, to to pay for PCE and community. I think community assistance is the other thing that's paid out of that fund. Um, and it was, I think, it was a genius move because it took that money away from those who wanted to spend it. As I say, on another artificial turf football field, took that money away from those who wanted to spend it and put it into a fund where it actually provides benefits uh, going forward in terms of the in terms of the the the, the earnings uh, uh, covering uh, uh, PCE costs. So it's I, I, it, it's a good use of funds. It is reducing the burden on the general fund, uh, and I and I think it's just it's very short. To me, it's just very short sighted uh, uh, to go grab a billion dollars out of there and plug a partial hole in just this year's budget. Um, it, it is it is it's it's it 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 is another another way, frankly, of taxing future Alaskans because you're going to be taking money that otherwise generates a benefit for future Alaskans, generates revenue for future Alaskans, reduces their obligation to the general fund, takes it for the benefit of this generation, but leaves future Alaskans stuck with the roughly $70 million a year bill uh, to pay for uh, PCE and community assistance. So it's, I, I understand why people say, oh, a billion dollars, let's go use that. Well, it's the same thing with the CBR and SBR. It was you know $20 billion, let's go use that. Uh, well... <laughs> We saw what that got us. It got us nothing. Right, right. Harold just can't decide. He's just so mad about Brad all the time. He just can't agree with anything. He's now mad that Brad said something about AstroTurf fields. The artificial turf fields being played around the state, that was just like a symptom of a larger problem. That the state, when they just decided, we're going to just spend money on stuff and things. When you've got an artificial turf field that can only be used for three or four months out of the year and you spend a million dollars on it, you got to start asking yourself, maybe you've got too much money. I'm sorry. Uh, if regular fields don't work for you, if uh, if a regular uh, you know grassy field is just not enough, then maybe you know just knocking rural schools. I don't think it's a knock on rural schools. What I think it is a knock on is I think it's a knock on oversized government spending. That is, uh, you know, that is uh, the bottom line, Brad. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The AstroTurf football fields largely happened at Anchorage, and what we did was take. Was was we had a good central facility, Alaska Football Stadium, uh, 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 and rather than improve it and make it make it uh, continue to make it the, the central football stadium, we decided that all these high schools needed their own football stadiums for four games a year, um, and and that we needed to uh, we needed to put astroturf football fields uh, at at all these high schools. It was it was. It was one of those examples where you have so much money. It proved Lyman Hoffman right. I mean, it was one of those examples where you have so much money, you don't know what to do with it. You come up with ideas like astroturfing football stadiums at every high school uh, uh, in in Anchorage. Lyman was right to set aside the PCE money. I mean, it was it, 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 he saved it from being spent on 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 something else. 
Um, no, the AstroTurf football field is largely a knock-on, frankly, a knock-on Kevin Meyer, who loved going to the openings of all these stadiums and who took great pride in setting aside capital budgets or, or appropriating capital budgets for, uh, uh, for, those, for those football stadiums. Donna Arduin is in the chat room. She says, PCE funds are borrowed from and owed to the CBR. Which I was uh, I was not aware of is that is is that something that's in your realm there, Brent? Oh, that's the that's the whole reverse sweep argument, Mark, Michael. Um, so the the argument is if you don't do the reverse sweep, uh, that the PCE PCE funds spill into the spill into the CBR. They're 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 set aside they're set aside for a specific purpose. They're not like normal CBR funds. Uh, during the 20 teens that were sitting around without designation, without without serving a purpose, just sitting there to be to be spent on whatever the next legislature decide to spend them on, the PCE funds are set aside uh, for for a specific purpose. Maybe maybe you want to argue about the specific purpose. Maybe you want to argue that that rural Alaska ought to be paying more uh, uh, for its energy, a lot more for its energy than than urban Alaska. Uh, and, and that would be an argument to do away with PCE. But if, but as long as you accept the premise that that the wealth of the state ought to be spread broadly to all parts of the state, uh, then uh, then PCE is a the PCE funds a very good way to do it. Well, and I think what it is an argument for more than anything else, not necessarily for the argument that you just made, but that uh, you know there is that the, the, the Constitution basically argues against designated funds. And whether you call them dedicated funds or designated funds, if the you know, regardless of the verbiage, if it's uh, if it's the same thing, then basically it's an attempt to circumvent the protections that are put in the Constitution. Well, you can argue you can argue that the that the, the set asides for uh, uh, for uh, uh, the retirement accounts or that you can argue. I mean, if you're going to go down that direction, you can argue that that the permanent fund uh, uh, dividend. Uh, shouldn't be shouldn't be sacrosanct. I, we we have we have decided in the legislature, and it can be done undone by subsequent legislatures. The Supreme Court has told us, but we've decided over the years in the legislature there are certain things that ought to be set aside that we ought to have as a continuing uh, continuing program. Uh, and one of those, but we decided by statute ought to be the permanent fund dividend. We ought to go back to that. We ought to we ought to observe that. Another one is PCE. Another one's retirement. Um, and and I and 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 those make sense. I mean, they're sort of they're sort of programs that you say, yes, we're going to continue this program. It's so important. We're going to continue this program, and we're going to make sure we have funding for it by uh, by by setting aside a fund for it. Let's uh, move on to number three. We've got about five minutes left here. Number three, of course, is uh, we've been talking about the university. University uh, in Alaska here is not the only one that's having to deal with issues and cuts and everything else. Uh, you've got an example on that, and uh, wanted to talk about it. Yeah, there was a great article yesterday in uh, in in the New York Times of all places, but a great article yesterday. Uh, headline: College colleges slash budgets in the pandemic with nothing off limits. Sometimes when you when you listen to the the university and its advocates here in the state is like oh my god you know we're doing something here in Alaska that no, that's not happening anyplace else we're cutting back our university impairing our university system at the time that you know everybody else is is doing great all the other university systems are doing great uh, and uh, and somehow we're doing undue prejudicial disadvantage uh, to ourselves as a result of that it's not true colleges throughout the nation and this article does a great job of summing it up. Colleges throughout the nation are uh, are facing uh, uh, very similar circumstances. What uh, 
One example that they gave in the article, state governments from Washington, this is a quote from the article, state governments from Washington to Connecticut have told public universities to expect steep cuts in appropriations. Pennsylvania is merging a half dozen smaller schools, and smaller schools in Pennsylvania are bigger than UAF, UAA, and UAS, uh, are merging a half dozen smaller schools into two academic entities. Other states are taking the steps that we need to be looking at uh, in Alaska. I think the merger approach, consolidating universities, uh, is something that certainly uh, that we ought to be looking at uh, in Alaska. Um, and, and, and we're seeing other states doing it. So we're, so we're not, when people try to tell you, oh my God, we're hurting our university system, um, uh, you, it, you know, Alaska's gonna fall, be, fall behind even further uh, the, other, uh, the other 49 states, not true. Everybody's going through this, and a lot of places are coming up with good ideas, like Pennsylvania's merger uh, of its uh, of, of its quote smaller universities uh, into uh, into into, cons- into more consolidated entities. It's not true. Other places are coming up with good ideas. We ought to be looking at those other places uh, and and bringing their best ideas back to Alaska and use it using it in, uh, in, in, in right-sizing, downsizing, appropriately sizing uh, our own university system. Brad Keithley is our guest, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Again, the argument is, Brad, we could consolidate these universities and save a lot of money uh, in the long run and make everything more efficient. Less than a minute here. Uh, final thought. Absolutely. Pennsylvania is doing it. Other places are doing it. We should be looking at it, too. Uh, All right. Uh, If you want to find out more about what Brad's talking about, whether you agree with him or not, you want to argue with him, Facebook is the perfect place for that. Uh, You can find him on Facebook at Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets or AK4SB.com is their website. Uh, We're down to the last 90 seconds or here. So, Brad, I'll give you the floor if you want to uh, make your pitch for uh, the election or anything else. Uh, You know, your final thoughts, I guess, before we run into election week here. My final thoughts is elect the most fiscally conservative candidate you have the opportunity to, to, to vote for. We are, we are facing a decade that's even worse because we don't have savings than the decade we just came out of because we don't have savings and we have low oil prices. That's even worse than the decade we just came out of. We need as fiscally conservative uh, a legislature as we possibly can have um, so vote for vote for as many fiscal conservatives as you can find. All right. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. My friend, thank you so much for coming on board and arguing with me this morning. It was fun. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed Michael, it. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. <laughs> it's good stuff, my friend. Thanks for coming on board uh, and being part of it today. Well, that's a wrap for another week's edition of the Weekly Top 3 from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Thank you again for joining us. Remember that you can find past episodes on our YouTube, SoundCloud, and Spotify pages. And keep track of us during the week on Facebook and Twitter. This has been Brad Keithley, Managing Director of Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We look forward to you joining us again next week on the Weekly Top 3.